Jesus. Your word, Father, is given by grace and mercy, abounding and pouring forth from your throne. So we are tempted and often lose the battle to the flesh in cherishing it as such. So Lord, by your spirit, may you win that battle today. Help us come again to you tomorrow, if you should give it, for more grace, because you've told us it's sufficient for the day. And Lord, now in these moments, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would remind us again and call us again to the holiness and significance of your word being given to us every day. Help us enjoy this more than great riches and treasure, for there is more than gold to be found here. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther, a former monk, was brought before a council of popes and bishops and Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. And they had all of his writings there. And they simply asked if he would want to take 24 hours and recant about all that he had written up to that point. And Martin Luther surely knew decades before of John Huss, who had been in a similar situation and who had wrote similar things against the papacy and the Catholic Church and was putting all his hope and trust on the sufficiency of the word of God and his end was being burnt at the stake. And so surely Martin Luther knew that that was in the air. And so he was locked away for 24 hours to think and to pray and what they hoped would be a overwhelming frightening that would cause him to recant all that he had written. When he found his way back into the presence of Charles V and his accuser, Johann von Eck, Johann von Eck asked, Luther this. He said, will you recant? And Luther replied, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust in the Pope or the councils alone, since it is well known that they often err and contradict each other, I am bound to the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Luther made perfectly clear what he thought about this word. For it was by this word that he was set free from a life burdened with guilt and shame in which he could not repay or make up for. And once he was set free in his 
study of Romans, he was never to go back again. And so asking if he would recant, he simply replied that he was held captive by this word. And it's not that it was some word of man or some poetic utterance, but it was the word of God which held him captive. It was therefore impossible to leave it, for if God is the highest form and uh, greatest definition of what it is to be holy and perfect and blameless and sovereign and eternal, then if he speaks, how could we deny such a thing? And so even facing the threat of death and intense persecution, men like Martin Luther have never been able to set themselves free from the captivating presence of the Word of God. And nor should we be able to once we're encountered in it in its true form as from the heavens, from the very lips and heart of the God who reigns over the universe, how could we ever turn back? And so we see that. We see men go to the fire. We see men uh, go to the gallows. We see men proclaim this word until the end because it is from God. And so the importance that is being communicated in the passage this morning is not only on what they have received as the Thessalonian church, but where it came from. Paul just got through Uh, in the previous 12 verses, explaining uh, who brought it in in its form as a messenger, how uh, he and and Silvanus and Timothy had came to the Thessalonians after persecution with this word that they were fully convicted of and being full of the Spirit. God gave them the word. And so he begins verse 13 in the most appropriate way. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the importance of the thing that causes us to be convictional uh, about what we have received in this word is that it comes from God. It is, it is not something that we could have derived ourselves and further investigation throughout the Word and throughout a lifetime would make very clear that there is no piece of, of literature or writing that even compares to the consistency that has been wrought throughout thousands of years and the deep things that reveal what is in men's hearts and souls, and what reveals about the universe and the God who created it, there is nothing to compare it. And then, by the Spirit and by the grace of God, we come to understand and see it for what it truly is. It's His voice. It's His speech. And it does things. In Acts 16, 14, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And 
Martin Luther is certainly like a Paul in the sense he is dead set on carrying this gospel uh, where it needs to be despite whatever is facing him. And so what Paul is speaking is the gospel. And what God did with Lydia in Thyatira is open her heart to listen to what Paul is saying. And it's not about what Paul is saying. It's about, uh, it's about the word of God. Doing what the word of God does. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. I'm trying to communicate this morning that why we are so bent on proclaiming the scriptures, studying the scriptures, understanding the scriptures is because God has used them and speaks through them to reveal to us his glory and his heart for us in being a part of enjoying that glory. And certainly with the Thessalonian church, Paul's going to make clear later on in chapter 4 that that God is doing this uh, not only for his glory, but for your good, so that you're transformed into what I, Paul, am seeing happen with you. And it's all happening because of this word, James 1.18. Of his own will he brought us forth by what? The word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The word is what causes uh, churches to grow. It's what causes them to bloom and to blossom. It's what causes us to exist. It's what causes us to be born again by the hearing of the gospel. And the good news is the word of God. And the word of God causes us to not only be born again, but then to grow into Christ-likeness. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus says in John 17, 17, your word is truth. 1 Peter 1, 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, how? Through the living and abiding word of God. Think about the creation of the universe and how that took place. God said, and then it happened. God said, and then it happened. God said, and then it happened. So it does still happen when he creates new believers. We are new creations. Jesus uses the word born again in John chapter 3. And so how does that come forth? The same way that the universe came forth, by God speaking these things to existence. He alone holds such a power, despite what false teachers may tell you. God alone can speak in his word and cause things to happen. And you and I should be byproducts of such a thing. This is hopefully driving home the reason why the Bible is so important to everything we do. And on a personal note, I'm in year five of this relationship with you as your shepherd. And if you are curious about what is to come, just read the Bible. I, I am only set on doing what this thing says to do. 
And the more I learn about what it says to do, the more we can lead in endeavors of doing what it says. We are, like Martin Luther, held captive not only in conscience, but in body, in soul, to this word. It's a great exercise just to cause yourself to pause for a moment and and to let only your thoughts be driven towards what is this thing that's before me? Is it just another book that I could pick up at a local library or get for free from somebody or download on my phone? I mean, it certainly takes somewhat of the format of the physical paper and binding of other books, but is that merely what it is? Millions of people throughout history have been able to read this thing in its entirety, and certainly millions have not seen it as such. So why would we see it as such? And it becomes very evident that there's only one reason There's only one way that we can receive this as what it is, God. That's why Paul thanks him for the convictional reception of the Thessalonians. They received this for what it is. And hopefully we receive this for what it is. We don't receive this as the word of God because of some burning in the bosom like Mormons talk about, that's heartburn. You probably need some antacid for that. We receive this as the word of God because it brings actual transformation to real human beings. Not only do we have validity of history and science and uh, biology and, and astrology and all the things that we can witness with our eyes about how God has created the universe and, and, and talks about it here in this book. I mean, Job understands that the world's suspended over nothing. And Job might have been one of the first people to write a piece of scripture. So not only do we have all of that, but we have actual new birth. We have people actually going from a, a complete heathen old direction to then a complete sacrificial and, and uh, humble, uh, righteous existence. And if we know anything about human behavior that's been studied over the years, we know that, that that's not a normal uh, process. We're creatures of habit. Those habits aren't easily broken. We're selfish. We're, we're, we're about self-preservation. It's natural to us. So then what would cause somebody like a Luther or somebody like you to receive this thing so convictionally that you would base your life upon it and that you would go to your grave never being able to deny its validity. You've received it from God. Like Lydia, he opened your heart and your mind to hear. And if you're curious of that mystery, how that happens, just think of Jesus speaking in parables. 
the word of God, speaking the word of God, and at, and at the same time, some people were hearing it and receiving it as revelation from the kingdom of heaven itself, and some people were incensed by it so much that they wanted to kill him after he uttered those parables. And, at, and in both cases, the word of God was doing its work. And so we hopefully grow and grow to love the word of God. I don't know about you, but I have the scriptures everywhere. I know there's one on our side table in our living room. I know there's one, uh, two, three beside my bed. I know that there's one on our phone. I know that there's one in my basement. I, they're, they're everywhere. And, and I'm amazed at the ability that I have to walk through my house and not be captivated by seeing the word of God over there. This is part of the struggle of being a human. That we may have at one time received the word of God as such. But do we continually exist to receive the word of God as such? And, and so the, the thing that I want more than anything else for me and for you is to daily receive the word of God. And I find in the scriptures, I mean, I'm looking right now at the next page, and it tells me that the will of God is my sanctification, your sanctification. And that what we just read in those verses that we zipped through was that he, he does that through this. And not only does he bring our sanctification about through this, but he's going to bring other people into the kingdom through this. Sometimes people want to denounce the dead set effort of Bible proclamation and understanding and call it a mere intellectual exercise. <laughs> this is how we know God. This is, you wouldn't say that if, if your love had written you many letters over the years and you didn't have a face-to-face -face meeting with them yet and all you knew about them was through this word. You wouldn't call that a mere intellectual exercise. You would call that getting to know the one that you love, examining their words and trying to understand their heart for you. And that's what this is, all of it, from page 1 to page 1800. And so we examine these things, or we hope to, we pray to, we fight against the flesh that we would receive it like the Thessalonians, like the Bereans, that we would examine it, treasure it, love it, understand it. For you, brothers, verse 14, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. We also know this about the word of God. 
that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing of the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the hearts of men. They became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus because the word was making all God's people into the image of Christ Jesus. It's at work constantly doing these things. You begin to share the scriptures with somebody and there's a different reaction than if you were to share uh, scenes from Moby Dick or Shakespeare. People can't hear it and not be affected in one way or the other. And that's why I've always been convinced if I don't have anything to say to you or to explain to you, you would still be much benefited if I got up here and just read the Bible. You have to trust the Bible completely to do its work, to cause these things to exist in people. What else could make men steadfast under the threat of persecution and death? How could a book do that? How could a word do that? It's a guarantee because it comes from the Lord of heaven, the Lord of all the universe. And it's, and it's interesting here what's taking place in verse 14 because he's already mentioned earlier in this book that the Thessalonians became imitators of Paul. And then he says, you've also become imitators of basically the Judean churches. And what we know is that the same spirit is working in all of them to cause all these things to happen. And so surely they're all in, in kind of one framework being made into the image of this one man or this one Christ. And he mentions Judea because think of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He mentions Judea as the first place to go with the gospel. And then Samaria and then all the ends of the earth. And so as the churches in Judea are surely some of the first to be planted and the first to grow and the first to experience what it's like to be persecuted because you follow the way or the word. They kind of set the tone. This is what it looks like. This is what's going to happen. And this is going to be what the response is. If you believe this word. So they're persecuted. They remain steadfast. And notice who they're persecuted by. The Jews. Who did what? Verse 15. Killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. And drove us out. And displeased God. And opposed all mankind. So it's a. Even before you get to verse 15. You could understand from verse 14, oh, that's, that's like Jesus. That's John 1.11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Not only that, they did not receive him, but they killed him. How could this be? Because he is the word of God, speaking convictionally about the word of God, and it opposes the works of men all the time. Have you ever noticed this? There is a unique persecution on Christians 
that other religions in the world don't face. And do you know why that is? It's because the word of God shines light on the darkness. It reveals it. And, and you see later on, I believe it's either in, in uh, 1 Peter or Hebrews, that, he, that, it, that it exposes all mankind and animals and all the world, and it lays it all bare before God. And what we read in just Hebrews 4, it's, it's piercing. That's why we have to always trust and use this above our own efforts and ways of communicating. That's why Paul, such a studied, learned man, did not have to or desire to use his gifts and abilities uh, with rhetoric to convince people of this message. Because he says in Romans 1.16, it's the gospel that saves. He's convinced of that. So that's what he does. Just gives them that. And you're like, well, that's a little too simple. That's a little too light work. Isn't that, that's glorious. Like his, his burden is easy and his yoke is light to this. What he's called us to is just simply be like, hey, good news. You want to hear it? Here's what it is. And then God will do his work there. But you have to have the word out there. And people hate it. People hate it. I have a friend that told me a story. I may have told some of you the story, but he was going through a tough time with the church, and so he was uh, going to meet with a man um, about some of these issues and, and see how they could go forward or resolve these things. So he gets to the meeting place, and he has his Bible on the table, and he's uh, ready to meet. And the man walks in, and he looks at the Bible, and he says, no, 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 we're not going to use that. <laughs> so my friend closed his Bible and left. Because if we don't start here, if we don't use this, if this isn't not only our guide, but our living water and life, then what's the point? What, what's the point, friends? What's, what, what are we going to find truth in? Then it becomes arbitrary, arbitrary and subjective, and uh, you have a truth, and I have a truth, and they have a truth, and okay, we'll figure it out from there. But in fact, the way that you have unity in the midst of diversity is having a point of reference, which is the truth, the word of God. And so it becomes extremely important what we do in Sunday school, what we do on Sunday mornings, and what we do in our homes to get to know what God has said so that we can all follow the same path. Not the ideas of men or the opinions or, or things like that, but what he said to do. And I surely want to know if there's anything uh, that I am leading people to do, either my family or this church that has nothing to do with the word of God, then I don't want nothing to do with it. But if, but if this is going to lead us where we need to go, then despite anything that tries to come against his church, we've been promised by this very word that God will build it and hold it fast 
We've been promised in this word that there's a living, breathing hope for us, that there's a place he's preparing. All of these promises are coming forth from this word. And so if we're dead set convinced on this being from God, then we can face anything that comes our way. Because we know what he said, and that's only what matters. So he talks about the, their countrymen uh, causing them to suffer because of the, their convictional reception of the word. Uh, this is how they treated the very word of God, Jesus, when he was here. And, and he goes on to further explain and air his grievances about the Jews who are doing this. They oppose, displease God, oppose all mankind, verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Scroll down with your eyes or your fingers. Verse 18 says, We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. 2 Corinthians 4.4, what's Satan in the business of doing? Blinding the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing or hearing the glory of the truth of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's his work. That's his business. And so Paul has lumped in the Jews who are supposed to be God's people uh, as those who are doing Satan's work by keeping them from hearing this. Any opposition to the proclamation of the gospel is influenced by Satan. Therefore, those who serve those purposes serve him. This becomes a spiritual issue. The people in the world that are trying to persecute and snuff out the gospel are not the root problem. The root problem is in the spiritual realm. And so we have to deal with those spiritual problems in a spiritual way. How do you do that? Number one, you pray. You pray that believers like the Thessalonians and like our brothers uh, across the sea um, are convictional about what they've received. That they're reminded, like Paul is reminding them in this chapter, what they received. So that when they face these things, like Martin Luther, they can say, uh, I'm captive to this, not to you. Because there is still a great desire from the world to hinder us from speaking the word of God that people might be saved. If you don't believe it, then just go try it. You'll find it. But the Bible tells us who is the real power in the universe and that we're supposed to fear him. So one thing we don't want to do is be guilty of what these Jews are guilty of. And what are they guilty of? Well, look at this, Luke twelve ten. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so you really want to know what that is, right? If there's something that we can't be forgiven of, uh, I want to know so that I can avoid that thing. So blaspheming the Holy Spirit, what would that be like? Well, first... We have to understand what the Holy Spirit does. And Lauren did a wonderful job in Sunday school this morning of telling us what the Holy Spirit does. 
And in particular, John 14, 26, Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The one thing that's always on my mind about what the Spirit does is he reminds me about the Word of God. Which, if you draw a line and try and reason this out, that would mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit would be to deny or ears when it comes to him trying to speak to you the word of God. And that persistent, stubborn desire to stop your ears at the word of God when the Holy Spirit speaks is the unforgivable sin. And it's committed every day, every day. John 16, 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Some of you remember what your life was like before Christ. And when the word of God would be spoken and you would feel conviction on your heart or soul and not just like, a, oh, yeah, I did something bad. I need to uh, make penance for that or repay that or something. But you had this this piercing conviction that you were a child of wrath, that this sin had caused a great chasm between you and God and made you an enemy. And then, and then what did you do? You tried to escape that conviction. You tried to push it aside. You tried to deny that, that it was there. You tried to just not listen to the Holy Spirit calling and speaking you. You tried to harden your heart that day so that you would not be pierced by the word of God, and it doesn't work. And if, and if not for God causing your heart to be open to receive that very thing, you would go on in that fight, in that effort to push back against the Holy Spirit, convicting you of sin and speaking to you the word of God, which is actually good news that you would have the ability to repent and to have faith in Jesus, you would continue on this way. And so our prayers for those that have not received the word is that they would receive the word. And for those that have received the word, we would praise God for it. And that at all times God would receive the glory because he's the one who gives the word. There's ambassadors, all of us who have received his word are made into such people. But he's got to be the one to do it. Which causes dependence from his people. Because we can, we can stand up here all day. And we can read the Bible and we can speak. But if God doesn't do the work. If he doesn't allow them to see this. If he doesn't break through their stubborn denial and blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, then they will not hear. And this will be judgment for them. And we want people to receive it as life. As Jesus is life and light. And so basically, he ends verse 16 by telling them that the measure of their sins is filled up 
but wrath has come upon them at last. Is it not amazing to you and to me that Jesus can say, you can speak a word against me? Paul. Paul did a little more than speak a word against Christ. And be forgiven. But if you blaspheme or deny the Holy Spirit as he brings the word to you and you persist in this, you will not be forgiven. In other words, everything throughout all of your life can be forgiven. But if you continue opposing the Holy Spirit's speaking of the word, wrath has indeed come upon you. Do you think God takes his giving of his word lightly? No. It's serious. It should cause us serious trembling when we don't receive it as what it is. And so I'm, I'm convicted that our prayers need to be offered in that direction this year for people to receive it as the word of God. And for us to continue in it as the word of God. And I'm not going to promise you everything will be gravy. But your soul will be satisfied. You will find more peace and pleasure and contentment in this than you would in much fine gold or honey from the honeycomb. The psalmist tells us. This is it. Let me offer a prayer briefly here and then we're going to stand and sing and I, and I want to pray together um, for our hearts in receiving the word and also for the hearts of the people that we know and love or have yet to meet that they would receive the word and so let's pause for a second and let's pray together Holy Spirit, we have uh, grieved you, surely. We have offended your word. And we've done so willingly. And so I ask on behalf of myself and of your people that you would forgive us that you would cleanse us from this unrighteousness and that your work of bringing the word to us, the will of God, our sanctification, that, um, that it would continue and abound and that we would receive it thankfully, joyfully. Lord, I pray you do that for your people this year and I pray for those specifically that we know that have yet to receive the word that you bring and, and those we've yet to meet um, that you would and that you'd even empower us and, and, and bring forth out of our sharing of the word the, the openness and the conviction to receive 
the gospel. And Lord, you did it with us. And so I pray that you would do it for those that have yet to receive. And so, Lord, um, we thank you for this word. And we don't want to leave this moment as just a moment, but we want you to forever, throughout all of our lives, continue to bring us back to this, to know it, to hide it away in our hearts, to remind us of it when we're in desperate need, to let this be our light and our life, our bread and our hope. And so we praise you, Lord Jesus, that you would come and bring this word and uh, that you would allow us to hear it. In your name we pray. Amen.